Well, good morning, Cornerstoners, and uh, welcome to church, wherever you are having church. I'll say hello to myself while I'm out there at, the, at, at Clarkey's place. Um, it's my privilege today to talk to you a bit from Ephesians chapter 4. As we look back over the first three chapters where we've come so far uh, in this series on Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are an incredible foundation. Uh, he, Paul has set out for us quite extensively some amazing theology that relates to who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And this is the most important of foundations, to know who we are, to know where we stand in God's love, to know that we have been brought from death to life through the death of Jesus on the cross. And it's when we fully grasp that, who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, that we really have the basis then to live for him. Um, I really love that wonderful culmination at the end of chapter three that um, Pastor Duane took us through last week. And if I can remind you of some of those words, just the prayer that Paul prays. I often think about the things that I pray for people and I look at what Paul has done and how different are his prayers. Um, but here were the words from last week. I ask God from the wealth of, of his glory to give you power through his spirit to be strong in your inner selves, that Christ will make his home in your heart through faith. I pray that you might have your roots and foundations in love so that you may have the power to understand how broad and long, how high and deep is Christ's love. Yes, may you come to know his love and so be completely filled with the very nature of God. If we had people praying that prayer for us and if we prayed that prayer for others, what an incredible foundation it would be, a foundation of love, of knowing how much we are loved by God uh, and then we and understanding the absolute absolute extent of his love. Incredibly powerful words, one of the richest and most potent prayers in the whole of the New Testament, I would um, suggest. The next three chapters of Ephesians then start to set out uh, the practical outworkings uh, of where we can go once we understand that foundation that we have in Christ. And as I said, I'm going to talk to you about the first um, uh, 14 verses, I think it is, uh, of chapter 4. But before I do, I want to talk to you about football. Um, I want to talk to you about state of origin, in fact, because uh, we're all very excited about, well, most of us, about what happened uh, last week or this, uh, this week as I speak in terms of the first state of origin match, the most extraordinary, unexpected of victories. And I often think of those state of origin coaches who uh, have to put together a team, or if you're a national selector, Mal Meninga and the national team, putting together a, a national team as well too, um, how they go about selecting the players for their team. Uh, if you know anything about football, um, and the same as cricket, netball, whatever sport you want to talk about, um, it's not just picking the best 15 players and going from there. You've got to think pretty carefully about which positions they're going to fill. You can't pick the, the best 15 players if they're all little halfbacks. Uh, you can't pick the best 15 players if they're all big bulky forwards uh, because you don't want to find that your bulky forwards are having to try to run in the position of a winger and, uh, and score a try or zip around the, the bigger men on the other team. So it's all about the mixture and the different skills and abilities that each player has. When I look at the church, um, and I'm thinking here both local and universal, um, some of these similar kind of um, principles apply. Uh, I remember a great uh, quote from the fellow who at the time was the uh, president, uh, national president of the Uniting Church in Australia, the Reverend Dr. Andrew Dutney, a Brisbane fellow. Uh, and I remember him um, standing on the steps of the Uniting Church in Adelaide, I think it was, and making this statement uh, that the church is all about 
a group of people gathering together on a Sunday morning who normally, in the normal uh, run of their life, would have no business being together. Uh, the only thing perhaps sometimes that draws us together is we have this incredible unity in Christ, this love for God and this desire to see his kingdom come. And we are the most diverse of mobs. You know, elsewhere where people gather, they gather with a, a passion in common, um, perhaps a, a bunch of cyclists um, uh, cycling down the Kedron Brook um, bikeway, or you might have a, a group of people playing a sport or a group of people gathered at a concert. They're gathering with a common interest. For us, the thing that brings us together is our love for God and our desire to serve Him. And it amazes me, therefore, when you meet a believer from a different kind of a background, uh, maybe from a different culture uh, or a different part of Australia even, um, how much you have in common to start with. Uh, the fact that you might be very different people in terms of your educational background, the language that you speak even, um, seems to melt away when you think that together we are one in Christ. We have Christ in us and we are seeking together to do uh, his, his will in the world. It's a great basis for unity. And I want to just read to you a few of the versions uh, from, from, a few of the verses, I should say, uh, from Ephesians. I've just lost it now. Here we go. Um, a few of the verses from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start actually reading verses 3 to 6, which say, We are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then it goes on to say, There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we have this incredible unity because we serve the same Lord. We have in common, we believe the same great truths of the Christian faith. We have the same purpose to know Christ and to make him known. We've all been baptized into the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have our baptism in common. And the same spirit dwells within each one of us. So though we might be very different, God has put us together to serve him in unity and to work together to see his kingdom established. And when you think about those of us who, when we gather, gather together at Cornerstone or even in our life groups, perhaps, we are a very diverse group, different backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, different career careers that we come from, uh, different political views amongst us. There's a whole range of differences, things that normally could divide people and yet we are one together in Christ. And in these verses too, we are reminded that God is at work both in us and through us. And in our lives, as we seek to live out our faith, both of these things are so important. It's important that God is at work in us because we are not a finished product yet. God is still at work. You know, God hasn't finished with us yet. Uh, there is always change that has to come about. There are always times when we find ourselves uh, needing to correct something in our path, uh, in, our, in our behavior, in our understanding. Um, and we also know that it has to be God that works through us because we cannot serve him. We cannot see his kingdom come uh, in our own strength and just with our own resources. So in this, in this section of Ephesians, because of the problems in the early church between Jews and Gentiles, Paul talks a lot about unity in this book. Um, and I guess these days you can look at many things that divide us too. Political uh, ideologies, we're seeing that played out at the moment uh, in an election that may well be finalised by the time that you listen to this talk. Uh, we see differences in terms of uh, who we support and what our preferences are about different things in life. Um, and so unity is such an important thing if we are going to work together. A couple of weeks ago, Graham spoke to us, Pastor Graham spoke to us about this being a new season for us as a church, for us as Cornerstone. The fact that as we move forward with church being a bit different now from what it has been, 
um, hopefully more meeting together as time goes on, that it is a new season and new things are going to be asked of us. It'll be an opportunity to step up and to work out how God wants each one of us to be involved. The good thing about that is that God has a place for every one of us within his church and a role for all of us to play. And you or I can't do what God has purposed for someone else to do, but he has a role just for you. So when I look at Sue and the tremendous work she does with the children's ministry, I know that there's no way in the world that I could do that. Uh, when I listen to Joan talking about our finances and, and just what a good handle she has on that, I think thank God for her because I in that area wouldn't be very good. I think of Pete and Dot and the incredible unique ministry they have amongst some very broken people in our society. And I thank God for that ministry. But I know that's different from the ministry I have. Graham also spoke about a fallacy that we hear of sometimes. And that is this idea of more of God and less of us. It's one of those things that I suppose is half true um, and is true in some, to some extent, but can be used as an excuse as well too. When we think about serving God in his kingdom, there's a fine balance between God's will and God's purposes um, and human agency. And somehow we've got to get the two working together. Uh, you know, I heard a little saying once that said, we pray as though it all depends on God and we work as though it all depends on us. And there is some truth in that. Um, we all have a role to play. It's no use just um, sitting back and waiting for God to do something. Uh, I know when I was a young Christian back in the 70s and the early 80s, there was a lot of talk around Pentecostal churches uh, in, in Brisbane that revival was coming you know, to Australia and it was going to start in Queensland, um, it was going to start in Brisbane, of course. Um, and whilst that was a very exciting, encouraging thing, and indeed revival may well be on the way still, who knows, that was uh, 40 years ago now. Um, but you know, it, it, does, it could have the danger of encouraging some people to sit back and think, well, I won't do anything until this revival comes because then I'll really be you know, seeing God at work and it'll really be God at work within me. So we do have to be very careful about that. Uh, it is God's agency and God's will and God's spirit at work. It is us cooperating with that and somehow being in the flow of his Holy Spirit and allowing him to work through us. So as we talk about the practicalities of serving God in this passage in Ephesians, Paul goes on to talk about spiritual gifts. And we have a list here in Ephesians 4, which in some ways has some similarities to the list in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, but some differences as well too. I'm not gonna go into the differences in any great detail, but just to remind you of what some of those gifts are that he mentions uh, in verses 11 through to 16. Uh, let me read those verses to you. It says, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the no and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every other, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Just a comment about the gifts that he mentions there. He talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors and teachers. 
Uh, and I guess when we look at that list, we might feel a little overwhelmed and think, well, which one of those am I? Uh, and they are perhaps what you might call big ticket items. But uh, there are lots of different gifts that God gives um, to us. And whenever we feel that God has called us to something or given us a particular gift, I would encourage you to confirm that with others because sometimes it's best to allow other people to identify your gifts rather than spending too much time trying to identify it yourself. There are many, many gifts besides those ones that Paul mentions here though. In fact, I believe that every ability that you have, everything that you've been trained to do in your secular work or in your spiritual life, um, every experience that you've had in your life, both good and bad, everything about you, your personalities, your strengths and your flaws, Every single one of those can be used by God to build his kingdom. And that's incredibly encouraging. It means that we're not just leaving it up to the apostles, the prophets, the pastors and the teachers, uh, that we all have a role to play too. But in certain circumstances, we may be exhibiting some of those gifts as well. It's a matter of the circumstances that you find yourself in as to whether God calls you to step up. The interesting thing about the, uh, these gifts, though, is that they are given not for our edification, not for us to feel good about ourselves or to put on our CV or um, get carried away with, but they are there primarily, as it says in verse 12, for the building up of God's people, for the building up of his kingdom, to equip the saints for ministry. And that is so important. Uh, gifts are given for a practical reason. That's the main focus, building others up. And if we find in the church that people are growing in ministry, being released in ministry, finding new ministries, then we know that our leadership uh, and all of us are doing our job. Uh, and if you're someone who's perhaps got um, you know, the gift of encouragement, you can be someone who can encourage people in the different gifts that they have as well. The church is one of those organisations that exists for others. Um, to bring others in, not primarily just for its own members. And I guess we have other organisations like that, the Surf Lifesavers, the um, Voluntary Fire Brigades and so on. But uh, very much we are one of those organisations that exists not just for ourselves, but for others as well too. I know with our Christian fellowship groups at school, sometimes the girls um, come from the same friendship group and uh, we have to encourage them, hey, we're not just here for ourselves, you know, to have a, a lunchtime together each, each week, and, uh, but we're here to, to reach out to others, to go beyond our friendship groups and to invite others in. And that can be a bit of a, a challenge because the church is not a social club. Uh, although church can very legitimately fulfill various social needs, if we allow it to become just a social club, we stop looking outward and we start to become people that just look at our own group. It's all about helping people to reach maturity in our faith, he says in verse 13, and in our knowledge of Christ. Maturity in our faith and in our knowledge of Christ. And then he goes on to say something interesting in verse 14 there, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And this is a, a, a true sign of maturity. When you are not someone that's just taken away with the latest great thing or the latest um, distraction, oftentimes it is, or the latest conspiracy theory um, around things that happen in the church or um, things that are happening in the world, but that you are someone who is settled, someone who has a firm foundation, someone who has a maturity in your faith and your knowledge of God, which means although you're still growing, you're not going to be unsettled by these new things that blow in every now and again. But instead, you're someone who is very dis discerning. 
Um, it's usually um, the things that, that sort of um, distract us from our core business are fairly bizarre or they might be quick fixes to solve our problems or um, things that sort of are designed to make us more successful or, or wealthy or some, something. Those are the things that we often find attractive and distract us uh, from our true business, uh, our core business as Christians. So if we have that maturity, we will be able to test things. We will know our Bibles well enough to, to say, look, that just doesn't seem to fit here. It doesn't seem right. Um, it doesn't seem, how does that fit in with these verses here? And we'll be wise. We won't just accept every new thing that comes along. And I have to say, every one of us is responsible for that in our own lives. Um, that's not something we can just leave to our leaders, although obviously we rely on our leaders to be feeding us the word, you know, and to be choosing the right people to speak to us. But we also have a personal responsibility because these days we get a lot of our information, not just from our uh, spiritual leaders in church, but I know a lot of people get information off the Internet. And I know it's one of the great blessings of the Internet, uh, tremendous Christian podcasts. Uh, you can hear some of the best speakers in the world. Um, going online. But there's also, as we know, an enormous amount of rubbish there uh, on the internet and choosing carefully, um, choosing wisely, uh, choosing people who are well-tested, who are Bible-based and listening to the right kind of stuff so that we're not filling our heads with rubbish in this day and age uh, is so important. So I ask you these questions today. What role can you play in God's kingdom? Reflect on that. What are your gifts? What are your strengths? What has been your experience that you might be able to bring to use uh, in, in God's kingdom? Do you sometimes feel limited? Does that feel like an overwhelming thought to think about what you might do? Maybe you're someone who's a bit shy. There are plenty of roles in the church that don't necessarily involve getting up in front of a, a camera or a microphone. You'll be pleased to know. Um, do you feel limited? I was catching up with a friend recently and uh, she was diagnosed about 35 years ago with chronic fatigue syndrome. And uh, what an incredible burden she's carried. She still suffers from that. It's affected other aspects of her health. Uh, she hung on to being able to work at least part-time until she's just too physically exhausted. Um, someone rang her up recently and she was huffing and puffing and they said, what have you been doing? And she said, I've been making my bed. Uh, she feels very limited. She's an incredibly bright woman with Bible college training, um, a lovely Christian, very intelligent. Um, and so she was considering her life and thinking, what can I do? And the conclusion she's come to is that she can pray. So she now has a very extensive prayer diary and she prays to my absolute joy, I found out, prays for me every day and lots of other people as well too. And what a wonderful example of someone who works out what my li her limits are at this particular point in her life and goes with that um, and is not daunted by that. Maybe you're feeling wounded. Maybe something has happened in your past that you feel uh, has taken you out of the game and maybe you feel that you're not worthy now um, to serve God. But remember that once we repent and come back to him, that forgiveness and restoration is there, that whatever wounds we have experienced in the past, um, God can use those perhaps to help others. Uh, he can certainly use it in terms of keeping us humble uh, as we seek to serve him. And all of us, you know, you get to certain stages in life um, have been wounded in some way. Of course, our roles may change as life seasons change. Um, I often reflect on this myself and wonder why someone who's now over 60 is still involved in youth ministry. Um, but anyway, mostly that doesn't happen. Uh, mostly people, uh, roles change as, um, as their experience grows, as they change, as the seasons of life change, and they might move into different, different roles. You don't have to be stuck to a role that you've been really good at, at the past. in the past. There might be a new role for you. And I want to sort of finish by just commenting a bit on the first few verses in this wonderful chapter because they give us some kind of 
uh, I suppose, character traits and ways of going about serving God as we think about how we might serve him uh, in this new season in our church uh, and in the world. Um, and I'll read to you verses one to three. Um, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This does not sound like the usual list of talents that one might be looking for uh, in, a, in a leader. Uh, there's nothing there about being dynamic, about being brilliant, about being persuasive, about being powerful. Uh, it almost seems to be the opposite, uh, but isn't that God's way in his kingdom? It's all about being humble, gentle, patient, tolerant, bearing with one another. These are things that we find difficult. I don't know about you, I certainly do. Patience, waiting for God's timing, being patient with people when they make the same mistake over and over again because I do exactly the same thing. You know, being humble, being gentle. These are the things that God values. There is so much division and polarization in the world today and we see people um, being divided over political lines or um, social lines, all sorts of other things, um, racial lines, gender lines, and we can see a lot of um, anguish and a lot of conflict and a lot of polarization. But with God's spirit and with us in allowing him to develop that humility, gentleness, patience and tolerance in us, um, we can be operating in a very different way. We can be operating in a way that brings unity to God's kingdom and brings unity to the world around us. And the world needs peace, peacemakers, peacekeepers. The world needs people who are humble and gentle and kind. There's a, a lot of that lift, uh, missing these days. And the final verse I'll finish with is one of my favorites in verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And this little expression, speaking the truth in love. What an incredible combination. Speaking the truth, in other words, not sort of sugarcoating things, not kind of avoiding the hard conversations, but doing it in love. And people that can combine those two things well are very valuable. Some people are very good at speaking the truth, but it's a bit harsh and it feels like you've been hit over the head with a sledgehammer. And when that happens, you can get defensive and not really take it in. Uh, and then there are other people who just never tell you the truth. They just tell you what you want to hear. But speaking the truth in love is such a powerful thing. I've got a couple of friends in my life uh, who I... Um, see as truth tellers and if I, if I want to feel like I'm flattered or encouraged I know who I can go to and talk to but when I want to know the truth about something and I want some feedback that's that's uh, honest um, but I know it comes from a foundation of love these are the friends I go to and uh, they know me well uh, they're not afraid to speak the truth uh, but I know that they're doing it from a basis of love and of concern for me speaking the truth in love is a very powerful thing so just to try to summarize uh, what I've said today, uh, because of the incredible spiritual blessings that God has given us in Christ, we can be part of his kingdom work here on earth. This um, unity, this position of, that comes from love um, and the fact that God has loved us enough to send his son to die for us means that we have a basis now to serve others. We have a basis to discern and to take a hold of the spiritual gifts that God has given us and to serve his kingdom, to serve his people, and to reach out and to see his kingdom come, because that is ultimately what we are seeking to do. Remember, we are a church that exists not primarily just for ourselves, but for others too, although we are incredibly blessed to have each other. How about we pray? <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much that every single person who's a part of Cornerstone Church and your church worldwide 
worldwide is an individual. Thank you that no two of us are the same. We all have different gifts, different experiences, different skills, uh, different talents, different histories. And that each one of those things can be brought into play for your kingdom. Please help us in this new season to know what you want us to do so that we can step up and perhaps try something new and serve you in ways that we might never have imagined. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.